millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny System with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny System with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, and this particular episode is one of our deep dives. We've been diving deep into the opening crawls of Star Wars. We talked the opening trilogy, or the original trilogy, not the opening trilogy, <laughs> the original trilogy. And this week, we're going to be talking the prequel trilogy opening crawl era. I'm excited to do it. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsuck. And look, when you grow up in the 80s, it's the opening movies. It's just, uh, you, we've got to, you know, we expand our view and perspectives on that. But it, for us, it's it's hard not to move past opening. Yeah, for us, it is the opening, uh, but it is the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Very excited to be here in, uh, in what we often call these deep dive episodes, our Bacta Tank of Talk, or Bacta, I guess. Ken, do you say Bacta or Bacta? 
I have said backed in my whole life. Uh, this is the uh, this is the great Star Wars tradition now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Of uh, different, I've always said Bakta, and I'm now thinking back to I don't know why. It's just <laughs> off, I always have off subject, but completely on subject. Now uh, I was playing a uh, Red Dead Online with my pal John Mariano out there uh, uh, in uh, Long Island, and he said, "I got a question for you." I said, "Yes, John, what's the question? How do you guys all come to a consensus on how to say these names and planets and characters properly?" And I said. <laughs> Um, we don't. <laughs> uh, I had named my new horse in Red Dead Online, Crescent. And he goes, that's how you say it. I go, well, that's how I say it. So, <laughs> Ninum, num, it's all there. Yeah, every once in a while, uh, you'll, you'll get a, a firm conviction on the way something is said. But it yeah, is often yeah. up for debate, which is uh, very fun. It's a thrilling part of Star Wars, which we'll see which words we say in surprising ways uh, in today's episode. We're going to get into this crawl discussion. But as always, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we are continuing to recommend The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. It's the next big High Republic adventure. We're going to be discussing it soon. So if you want to dive into the audiobook, you can get a free one today by going to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. But we have more more words to say that are offers that we might pronounce oddly. We love saying these more words. Inside editions or insiate editions, if you're uh, <laughs> so pleased. Inside editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books, is offering 35% off across their website. If you use this special link, insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. This week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, Inner Jedi Journal, a great way to go through every day trying to be more like a Jedi. Again, use the link, insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Well, I am very excited uh, with those offers out of the way to dive into these prequel era crawls, Ken. Last week we talked about the uh, Star Wars crawls kind of in the big picture, right? Their mm-hmm. Flash Gordon roots, the adventure serial cliffhanger dynamic, the built in nostalgia in the crawls from Lucas's youth. Uh, and then we talked in detail about the actual text of the original trilogy crawls. So if you haven't heard that one yet and want to check it out, go ahead and jump podcasts because this particular episode, we are diving into the prequel era crawls. We're going to talk about the crawls from the trilogy of films, uh, but also the Clone Wars newsreel type narration. So uh, let's just dive right into the Phantom Menace, Ken. Before it came out, you knew that it was probably going to have a crawl or hoped it was going to have a crawl, right? Did you have hopes or dreams about the opening crawl before the Phantom Menace came out? I just... The hope, I guess, was that it would be there, which oddly enough, I, I don't think we ever doubted and, and you wouldn't have reason to doubt it. And that became a talking point around Rogue One, right, going in. And that was the first time, like, will it have? And we know that there wasn't. Um, but no, I just was so glad that I was I was going to see an, another one. Yeah, I think I remember thinking about it, not necessarily from the uh, point of view of what will the text be? What will the flavor mm-hmm. be? Of, but of that thrill that, OK, Star Wars is coming back. Star Wars is really unique. Star Wars does things its own way, and one of the things it does is that crawl. And I remember just thinking about, again, not the actual content, but, oh, what's it going to feel like when that text starts to fade away and the camera pans down 
Mm. It pans up and attack the clone. So I couldn't yet imagine that <laughs> absolute bonkers move. But when it pans down, what's the planet going to be? How are we going to get into the story? I remember thinking really about the moment between the crawl ends and the story really begins. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially from long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, that beat and then the, 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 Panning down, it's so interesting. I've had more uh, wonder going into every Star Wars movie about where's the camera going to go after the crawl phase away. I (laughs) I love, oh, this sideways, oh, upwards. I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was, it was just, it just was excitement. In 1999, it was, we were excited to see Star Wars, boom, just explode onto the screen. Yeah, and the crawl is a part of that explosion. I remember being anxious to know what the conflict is right because i think i i thought of in terms of the actual content about like return of the jedi being the setup for oh wow well here's here's really what the plot is luke's gonna try to rescue han but he's got this death star yeah. to deal with that he doesn't even know about little did he know and i remember being anxious to kind of see like what are they going to say what how's the galaxy going to be set up and i think that a lot of that faded uh when i went action figure hunting for Phantom Menace. And if you've never looked, if you weren't the right age for any reason to look at those Phantom Menace action figures, look at the combination of the text descriptions of the characters and then the lines that are printed on the back that through the ComTech chip, this character says this to this character. I accidentally put most of the movie together uh, <laughs> through the action figure hunting. So I think that sort of uh, curved my curiosity. Yeah, and then throw in the soundtrack debacle, and you kind of know a lot of plot points going in. Yeah. Yep. Then you, like Weird Al, can write your own parody <laughs> song before the film even comes out. Uh, but I also, the last thing I do remember is uh, the excitement of seeing Obi Wan Kenobi's name in the crawl, uh, possibly. Mm-hmm. Oh, which yeah, yeah. did not bear out. Mm-mm. Uh, all right. Any other uh, big picture thoughts before we dive into the crawl text itself? No, much like 1999, I'm just here and excited to see what uh, the crawl's saying. Excellent. Uh, so I'll read this uh, first Phantom Menace one. Uh, here is what the actual crawl text is. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outline star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict for dots. (laughs) All right, Ken. Uh, we're having fun reading these. Uh, I'm going to have you read the next one, and I can't wait to see uh, how your British accent is doing. <laughs> Hopefully better. <laughs> Not the New York's so, in my mind last week. I'm going to clear for that. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's get uh, right into the controversial stuff. Coming from the original trilogy crawls that were all about uh, battle stations and stolen plans, remote ice worlds, and vile gangsters. Uh, as a, a young adult in 1999, did you get turned off by the uh, political and economic turns of phrase in the Phantom Menace crawl? Yes, because I was told to. <laughs> told to. Came out of the theater and was told, you must fight against that crawl. It mentioned uh, uh, taxation and uh, disputes, uh, trade routes. You must fight against it. Yeah. It So... So you, it didn't bother you at the time. You're just into the story. You just want to know what what problem are the Jedi fighting against, and did did it just kind of wash over you? I I it, it look it, those words jumped out to me. So that it's an easy 
it's an easy conversion for my soul, right? Oh, you're right. I did. It did say trade routes and I'm not sure about what I just saw. So you're right. And this is uh, kind of the way it works. And look, if this crawl doesn't work for you and the Phantom Menace doesn't work for you, I get it. I get it. But there in the parking lot of the Winneka Pacific theaters, I was, uh, I was told not to like that. Um, and we're going to talk about what this means now, but look, and the truth is it is different. We can't deny that. No, it is. And when you're sitting there in a the theater and, and you're right from putting together from Comtech chips, soundtracks and the trailers, like I, the trailers itself, I, I thought, wow, that's an interesting story. I still joke. I wouldn't mind seeing that story as well as the Phantom Menace we got. I thought it was going to be kidnappings and uh, bursting out, uh, you know, from planets to try to get to safety and wars being fought, but maybe not by the Jedis because they can't do it. There's all these kind of things that was I was expecting there. But again, didn't go into thinking of it about specific words. And then you see some of the stuff and you're like, okay, okay. And then it's a different feeling and you can't deny that. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it is, uh, it, it, I've gone on a ride of like, yeah, no, I, I have kind of uh, understood the critique of the more uh, political and economic turns of phrase. And now I absolutely love them. It's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think for me, this is all about generational perspective, right? Of uh, We talk a lot about Star Wars has this tension between uh, romance uh, in, in the grand scheme and realism, right? And I think Lucas has said partially be for himself because of the scale of story that the technology would allow him to tell in the original trilogy, the political stuff is kind of running in the background and it's really focused on following this small band of freedom fighters. Right. And it's, uh, you get a you get some sense of like, Oh, there's some cool tech behind the uh, evaporators on Tatooine. So it feels a little real worldy, but it's mostly about uh, the, you know, mythic fable of the, the young hero to be who begins his journey. Granted, you know, the, the weapon of the past and gets to hold the the the, uh, the sword up and all that stuff that's much more romantic. So I think a lot of people grew up with Star Wars is romantic. It, you know, it's great that they had water evaporators. That's kind of cool, but I don't want to know how much water cost on Tatooine. Yeah, you know, right, yeah. You know, I don't want to know how heavy the lead was when they you know use the water. Like I don't want real world stuff. Yeah. So from that perspective, the idea that Star Wars is about spaceships and aliens and lightsabers. And if you're going to go deeper, it's about myth and it's about fighting the darkness in our soul that there's there was this big resistance to taxes are boring. What is this? What's is this going to be about Darth Vader's mortgage? I don't want this to be about boring adult stuff. Right. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. And and look, there's a I, I think I mentioned before, but you know I'm a Simpsons fan. I haven't watched it in a couple of years, but just like there was a great uh, episode around the around the time where they they took big swings, broad swings at at the the prequels, and some of it was the the, the uh, you know sitting in a at a congressional meeting, the Senate chambers, and and making making fun of it. And I can take the jokes; it's fun. Mm-hmm. I remember at the time thinking that like good point. There wasn't anything in there but boring stuff. And, and again, not saying that there wasn't some things that were a little less exciting than what I was used to, but uh, to gauge it on a different level. So I think you're right. Uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of that, uh, I, I understand it too. Uh, I can make jokes about being forced into it in 99, 1999, but I understand it. It's just different. And, and, and George had the chance to go back and be different. So we celebrate that more now than we did then. Uh, and that's what's in the crawl. Yeah, and I think that's it for me as I I wanted to kind of uh, lay out, I think, why people had such a a strong and negative reaction to it because I think, and I'm I'm speaking with a very broad brush here, uh, that there was an expectation that Star Wars was all about excitement and adventure, not boring real-world taxes and government 
blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I've really come to believe and feel is uh, that one, the story is not boring just because we use words that have connection to real world stuff that like, look, I, I, I don't find it uh, fun to fill out my taxes. I yeah. do find it uh, terrifying and thrilling <laughs> in a certain way because it's serious yeah. stuff that matters, right? Um, so I don't think the story is boring. We've talked about this before. If you translate the story of Phantom Menace to the real world of like, yeah, like a, a shipping company, you know, Amazon decides that uh, they are not happy with taxes. So they make it so you cannot enter Vermont. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Vermont tries to complain about it. And the government's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, let's ask Amazon, who has a seat in the government, if they think it's a problem that they invaded Vermont. And like, we didn't. Like, it, yeah. and they have an art. Like, it, it is thrilling. It is actually thrilling to me. Um, yeah. So there's that element of it. But then just in terms of this whole perspective thing, right? of this is what the story always was to Lucas. This is one of the things that yes. made me really go like, I just want to embrace the prequels for what they are. You go to that prologue that's in the original Star Wars novelization, and it is all about the uh, political and social and financial and systems uh, mm-hmm. that can let people down, that they can fail as much as individuals can fail. And Lucas was always interested in this you see the seeds of it in a new hope when there's a conversation about wiping the senate away Mm -hmm. and it was just sort of like he started in this middle chapter Mm -hmm. and everybody who grew up with the original trilogies not everybody but most of us didn't think of it in from a socio-political framework and then here's i think lucas probably has like this shock of like it was always that (laughs) yeah why are you upset about what it always was you know, and it's a fascinating uh, uh, relationship, I think, between creator and audience and expectation. Could could uh, this is this is a a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because he never would have done this because he he's telling a story one through six, right? And that's that's probably going to come up again in our discussion about what he did or did not put in the crawls based off of uh, one day I want a kid to sit and watch these in order and not no, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can't play on that stuff. But if 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 other than title, which I, I contend the title, the Phantom Menace, is kind of a big clue as to what's happened. But if the crawler said something about this is step one in Chancellor uh, or in Senator Palpatine's plan to take over the galaxy. If you just said that. Yeah. Could that have worked? I think, yeah, I think it maybe would have uh, made people enter into the story differently. Right. Trying to figure yes. out, ooh, what is he what is he up to? You know, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I only say because in part of my my journey with this movie, and uh, and and we're always going to be talking about that that journey that we went through from '99 to now. It's like once I kind of reframed it in my mind as, oh, that's right, it, it, Palpatine's destroying everything, and this is step one or maybe step fifteen. We haven't seen the previous fourteen. Uh, then it got <laughs> a little more interesting to me uh, than it than it felt uh, coming out of the theater uh, around this time. Though again, as we discussed, I liked a lot of it. Again, just felt like uh, maybe I couldn't dig deeper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I also, you know, always want to say, I know we were lucky to hear from people who grew up with the prequels and like, yeah, no, I never considered any of that. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just some um, setting it up and I understood it more when I grew up. It was uh, Jedi Knights and they're doing thrilling stuff. What's what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so where does this crawl rank for you now? What are your favorite parts of the text? Oh, look, I would say if we're, if we're doing a straight up ranking, all right, I, I guess I put this one in the middle of the pack, but it's it's growing. And, and even in this episode, reading it to this morning over a cup of coffee to go over my notes again, I was like, yeah, no, this is like this is a really darn good crawl. 
Uh, and, and I think it got picked on so much uh, on the virtual playground that I'm now very protective of this one more than <laughs> any other of the prequel crawls. Like, I'm like, you leave episode one crawl alone. It didn't do anything to you. Like, I'm, I'm over there defending it. I just, I just really, it's a very clear, concise crawl in terms of the story. It does a great job setting you up for what's going on. Gives you the big stakes. Gives you the little stakes. And literally just four dots us into the start of the story. <laughs> yeah, cool you're crawl. You're entering in the middle of the conflict, much like in uh, A New Hope, right? So yep. it's it's great and thrilling that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this is not my favorite, but I really love this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because it sets the stakes of this era, that we're telling a story about not just individuals, but about organizations. And this is the kind of perspective that is at stake in this mm-hmm. new trilogy, right? Yeah. Um, while still keeping the pulpy tone, you know, it's not like it suddenly is like, uh, you know, reading a business contract. <laughs> yeah. It's got those key words that some people had a hard time with about trade routes and taxation and that, but there's still that same tone that we talked a lot about that comes from adventure serials and pulps, right? I mean, turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. That is such a heightened way to yeah. say that, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. And then I think the it's not a super heightened phrase, but I love the turn of phrase of endlessly debates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too. It that's yes, yeah. It's not exciting because no, but that's the point, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's the problem. Just like the 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 problems are the rot that is growing, yeah. right? You know, yeah. in the problem in the original trilogy era is like. They got a big Death Star. They made a big gun. It's called the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to blow people up. But what's happening right now is that rot, you know? And you can almost see Lucas, uh, who has a long history of struggling with uh, various organizations, just mm-hmm. the frustration <laughs> well, yeah, I, that this I, story I, is about. Of Like, they've yeah. become, uh, you know, they can't actually resolve their own problems. They're too stuck. And just yeah. the, you can feel the sort of seething that endlessly debates. Yeah, no, I think that endless, endless debates ties to new hope in the sense of, uh, you know, this, this group's come along, these rebels and are like, we ain't, ain't no debating now. We can't debate. And that's part of what we're learning about the rebellion and the, and the, like the five years, three, four, three, two, one year up to new hope. They're like, we, we, we got to stop debating with ourselves. Action, action, action. If we were taking more action, I'm not just saying fighting, but more action back here in this era. And then instead of having endless debates, I think absolutely George is, is saying it starts here. The frustration starts here. Yeah, absolutely. The frustrations and the problems in the the uh, the atmosphere that breeds the possibility of an authoritarian like Palpatine taking over is is starting here. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Last thing for me, and and I so want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I think the thing that I remember being most emotionally affected by on the very first viewing is the the final bit of secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy. Mm. That was such a thrill in 1999, and it has never stopped being. A thrill because even though it's setting these uh, larger uh, political stakes, these organization stakes, it ends on hey, those Jedi Knights that that you heard were the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Old Republic. Uh-huh. Hey, let's go! Here they are, the Guardians of Peace and Justice. And seeing that in writing has always been thrilling. Yeah, especially if you're going back to Episode One and this time in the Star Wars storyline, they are this. Could you imagine what would happen if they are removed and we no longer have this presence in the galaxy? Let's examine. What yeah. Start. Yeah. And secretly dispatched. Yeah. It's I always love that. What did that make in 99? What did that make you think? In 99, it made me feel like um, 
the the idea that they were secretly dispatched of like, oh, this is a problem that only Jedi can handle, right? And I, I don't know, it gave me, I, I didn't think of the Jedi that way because I had thought of them growing up as a little bit more nomadic. So that idea that they'd be sent on an assignment almost had this like kind of James Bond flair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. like, you know, who else gets secretly dispatched? James Bond. So Jedi Knights secretly dispatched like James Bond? Cool. Yeah, it set up an interesting relationship between uh, like them and, and I, I would, I guess, say Valorum, but this is the Republic, you know, uh, and uh, it wasn't like you saw Valorum uh, have a, a conversation with them beyond the, the landing platform. I would have loved to see that, by the way, Terrence Stamp talking Jedi stuff with the, the uh, with them. But I yeah, must secretly I, dispatch you. Yeah. Yeah. And why? Yeah. In the relationship. I, I, I think that's an underrated part of the crawl. Yeah. Love it very much. How do you feel that there isn't a single character that is mentioned by name? Supreme Chancellor is there, but it's not uh, yeah. Supreme Chancellor uh, Valorum. And it's two Jedi Knights, but it's not Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. How do you feel about that? I, I think I I, ha- I I never had a super big problem with it. I think I only would want it now. Drop in a Queen Amidala, whatever you want to say, only for tradition. I just love seeing the all caps word or something like that and and uh you know queen amidala would have been great uh that's the only reason why i don't i don't necessarily miss the uh, the names uh, in this crawl yeah i think in a way for me it makes it um i'm always happy to see a name makes me happy i like these characters yeah, yeah but i think it helps with this vibe of being introduced to a new era and an era that is about systems of power because it is about the or what the organizations are doing not what the individuals are doing yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, uh, and, and it works. And clearly, George uh, had that in mind. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So what clues about the film do you think are in this text? I mean, we've talked about some of them for sure, about just the, the what what is this trilogy concerned about? But but what other, uh, you know, helpful uh, clues to reading The Phantom Menace are in this text? Yeah, I, I'm repeating some of them. Uh, turmoil, what a great word. Uh, <laughs> ending with, uh, that was my last one too, of Jedi are the guardians of peace and justice, so that. But between that, uh, this one uh, little uh, description here, I think it's overlooked. Deadly battleships. These aren't Amazon delivery trucks out there. They are, but they have guns on them. And yeah. An army coming out of the Amazon delivery trucks there, which now, by the way, you, you, you've you had this wonderful uh, take on this for, since I even, you know, met you but before i met you joseph but now i do want the i want some amazon logos slapped on the trade federation <laughs> uh and i and i do use amazon folks uh, i don't want to seem hypocritical there um deadly battleships and then all of it this uh much talked about controversial trade blockade that made the movie quote so boring is really just this starting by saying connections are being broken mm. and uh, this Palpatine character, some of you probably have an idea who he might end up become becoming. Uh, he, his goal is just to break everything apart. And this is a movie about connection. It's a franchise in a lot of ways about connection. You and I love celebrating that and other parts of it. But this this crawl is saying connections are being broken and good things don't follow that. Yeah, I really like that uh, an imagery of of things that should smooth uh, flow smoothly uh, are are being broken up. That's really great. Yeah, there's turmoil. Uh, there's a blockade. Uh, there's endless debating. <laughs> yeah. a lot. There's a lot of language in here about nothing that should be smooth is going smooth. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, I think for me, definitely um, just the idea that this is still focusing on individuals. Of course, we're still starting telling stories of characters, but the political and economic power dynamics are the point it's <laughs> yeah. this is really an opportunity to we often talk about you know um embrace the story you're presented with and the crawl is not being subtle about this is the story 
this is the point. Uh, so it, it, try to open yourself to that if you want to get the most out of this. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, we, we could talk for hours, I guess, on Phantom Menace. We will again, friends. Uh, the 25th anniversary is only a couple of years away. <laughs> I, I just I, this is the thing I've grown to love more than anything. And now even in our discussion, jo- Joseph, this crawl is taking on more importance of just like it ain't lying. And it's there for you. And, uh, you know, not everyone's going to engage with that. I understand that. But it's uh, it's setting you up pretty well for what's about to come. Yeah. Two other like big picture things that I think are really important. Uh, you mentioned just the great imagery of a blockade and, and broken uh, connection. That word greedy is so important. Greed and greedy uh, to say the greedy trade federation. It's got a perspective. It's not like a oh, there's been a misunderstanding. It's the trade federation are wrong and they are motivated by wanting more. Right. Yep. Um, greed is such a key word and idea to all the Star Wars, but in t- particular what Lucas was interested in with uh, the prequels, that the idea of uh, wanting more and needing more and not wanting to work together, but having uh, one person who wants to take something from another or one organization who wants to take something from another. It's greed that is rotting and infecting the Republic. You know, Lucas has talked about greed is the dark side. It's the the dark side is uh, natural pain, sorrow, suffering exists, but it's the Sith saying, and we want more of yeah. that. It's the taking everything, you know, it's uh greed is the bad side of attachment. You know, it's great to care about somebody, but if that tips into the greed of wanting to possess them, right. Mm-hmm. That's not loving them. It's possessing them. And that's what Anakin is tipping into. Like all the levels of failure in the prequel are in some ways about greed, about wanting, thinking you don't have enough wanting to take more and risking, you know, taking it from, from someone else even. So the fact that this story that's uh, about greed starts with uh, an act of greed that's clearly spelled out in the, in the crawl is important. Uh, you touched on it. I think this word be, uh, becomes much more important later on in the Star Wars timeline of just fans and, and us taking in this, these films, uh, the, the stuff going around, you know, the, of Lucas in, in the, in the Clone, Ru- Clone Wars writing room talking about greed and how it relates to, to power and how that, all that relates to the Sith. Uh, it's pretty powerful now. And I think maybe this means to me that greed is an underrated Star Wars word. You know, <laughs> it's when you talk about themes and the things the movie's telling you and power, unlimited power, all that, and how, how fear and anger, suffering. We, we hear that a lot because of Yoda's great uh, advice there. But man, greed's pretty darn powerful and it's right there from the beginning. Yeah, and if you watch the prequels and every time that word pops up, it has significance and connects uh, this storytelling of, of how things fall apart. Yep, absolutely. Uh, last thing for me is I love how much it, it does portray that everything is about larger systems and that they're broken, but then it really ends with uh, can individuals succeed within a broken system? That's literally kind of the last paragraph, right? Of like, yeah. the Senate's supposed to be resolving this. They can't. So the leader quietly sends two individuals to see if they can uh, fix something within this broken system, which tells us a lot about where the prequels are going. I absolutely love that, sir. That's a great way to put four dots and take you into the movie. <laughs> and we're going to take these four dots into Attack of the Clones now. Ken, do you want to read this one? Well, it'll be my pleasure. 
There is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. This separatist movement under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi for dots. <laughs> you very much read the uh, capitalization of Army of the Republic, which I think is great. Yes, love it. So where does this one rank for you? What are your favorite parts of the text of Attack of the Clones? You know what? I, 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 poor Attack of the Clones, because it's there's always this caveat when discussing the movie. I still rank it lower, but, uh, you know, maybe we should just uh, not worry about that overall. But yeah, uh, to your question, I still think this crawl falls down a little bit for me, but Again, in analyzing it, it, it really flows from the last one and leads us to what's going on, not just in this movie, but in the galaxy uh, in the years to come. So um, it, it's, it introduces, you know, we've time jumped, so it has, mm-hmm. it has to account for that. And so it feels, it feels a little less exciting, if I'm being blunt, uh, until you'd start digging in there. Yeah, absolutely. We will dig in. But no, it, it is definitely the jump forward from the peace orb, from the illusion that everything was uh, working great. Uh, but we know that it's not, that the Sith are on the rise. Um, and wondering exactly, you know, how, how are we going to pick up the story? It's great for that. But yeah, no, Attack the Clones. I think one of the things I love about Attack the Clones the most is it is uh, it's got a lot of great big important ideas but in some ways it is the to me the most adventure serial the most just pulpy let's have fun with it all Uh, let's just throw everything in a pot and stir um and this uh, you know i I think i love it more because it is in some ways to me imperfect it's beautiful and then has these weird uh, maybe flaws that make it more beautiful (laughs) i'm very weird about this film my relationship to attack the clones is is very odd if I'm on the playground protecting the Phantom Menace crawl, you're you're on the playground protecting this one, and and uh, I'm behind you on that. No, it, it's not unlike the movie. You're absolutely right. Little uneven, weird in parts, but overall, wow, this is some different things and a lot of fun in there. Yeah, and I think maybe that's it. Is like some of, I have some criticisms of this flaw, but I almost love having them, which is a weird thing to say. That uh, like just like a, a, a Phantom Menace, Attack the Clones is this crawl is uh, both pulpy and political. It, it's supporting you know what the story is, what this trilogy is. But the opening line of Phantom Menace saying turmoil has engulfed. You know, it's still talking politics and structures, but it's got some great big uh, mm-hmm. you know pulpy words. Uh, there is unrest in the Galactic Senate. It mm-hmm. makes me laugh almost every time. Right? I just I picture like is. Orn Frita falling asleep as he have to shift in his chair. <laughs> you can read there is unrest in the Galactic Senate as being very low stakes, right? Yes, uh, yes, yeah, I do agree with that. But I, but I, but it's but it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It is not wrong, and it it is just a little bit more of a subtle opening, right? It, instead of like a panic, chaos, you know. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. I, Senators I, I, at each other's throats, you know. Yeah throwing chairs in the, in the, in the Senate chamber meetings. I, I'm almost asking more than uh, just saying as how I feel, but like there is unrest in the galactic Senate. Do you think there's some energy that ties to the beginning of Padme is nearly blown up and people are like, Oh no, no, no. Dooku's not nah, Padme. Dooku's all right. You just need to switch teams. He's good. And there's just kind of this, we're, we're in a period of unrest, not turmoil. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that is my my generous reading of it, that I think it yeah. does reflect what is going on, that the Senate is, you know, they're, they're debating this army of the republic, uh, but they're not really addressing, like, the central issues. It feels like there are important things that need to get decided, some problems that they're maybe not even addressing or considering, and, you know, you get that almost real-world sense that, like, well, but all the senators have released firmly worded statements that they're very concerned about this problem. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a sternly, uh, sternly written letter. Yeah, we caught Orn Frita leaving this fancy restaurant and he assures us he's very, very concerned about the problems. But, <laughs> but what's he doing? What's he doing? Uh, too real, too real. Yeah, too real, too real. Um, in terms of just like turns of phrase, I like, uh, I do like there's unrest in the Galactic Senate because it, 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 it is, I can see it in both positive lights and, and I can be critical of it. I love the mysterious Count Dooku. Oh, so do I. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it does a good job. It, it gets a lot of exposition out there very quickly. Uh, it, no, in needing to summarize the last 10 years of the galaxy, this does a, this does a, a good job of that. Yeah, and actively bring you into the problem and what's being what's being done about it right now, which we'll talk about a little bit more. I wanted to ask you, uh, in 2002, did any of the numbers throw you for a loop? Because we got some specifics, right? Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions, uh, that there is a limited number of Jedi Knights and they're overwhelmed. Did any of you, did any of that uh, read odd for you that you had to recontextualize how you think of the Star Wars galaxy? Uh, the, the thousand systems did. Yeah, yeah. I thought there was like six. There's like Hoth, Tatooine. There's systems around those. Right? And there are like, there's like six. Not, oh, Naboo, there's like seven. Yeah, no, the, the thinking of the galaxy in those terms uh, what did change uh, my perspective a little bit in 2002. Yeah, I remember being like, oh, wow, okay. The, I didn't think it was like, I have seen all the planets. Because uh, we were told again and again, for the most part in the original trilogy, that we were seeing uh, remote places. Mm -hmm. So I understood, like, okay, there's some <laughs> more yeah. important places. You know, Coruscant had popped up in books and comics. Uh, but, and then obviously, Phantom Menace, it pops up. Um, but the several thousand star systems, I think that really was that, like, you know, maybe it triggered something of, like, I... You know, I, I memorize everything about Star Wars. I'm never going to memorize several thousand solar systems. This is big. This is a big, big galaxy. It's basically just said you're going to have to let this go. It's just so big you can't even <laughs> comprehend. Yeah. It did just reset my thinking about the scale of it, which I, which I enjoy, and it was great. The limited number of Jedi Knights, I remember being like, oh, is this how they fall? Because yeah. you're, you, Phantom Menace had that point of like, well, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And they're all running around. They're all strong. It's great. Um, and then that like, Oh, is this, is this uh, a part of their fall? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm not gonna, it, I'm not gonna say that I spent a lot of time thinking about that in 2002, but it did, uh, it, it put it into perspective a little bit that, uh, they, they were, they were ready to fall, especially it, it, you, you can't uh, divorce yourself from seeing the trailers going into this. Yeah, and I, I had a, that shot overhead does a great trailer shot of the Jedi surrounded in the in the arena. When now we know it's the beginning, but I thought that was the end. I thought, oh, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I think I remember being even more affected by, you know, the idea of they're limited. There are only so many, but in particular, the overwhelmed Jedi gave me that great uh, tip of the iceberg, uh, uh, just thrill of like, mm -hmm. ooh. So if they're running around the galaxy trying to do their business as normal, but there are too many problems popping up, think about all those adventures. 
Yeah, yeah. Think of all those things they're trying to negotiate or, you know, environmental disasters they're trying to contain and they're getting overwhelmed and it made me want to hear those stories. Did you think a little bit, I, I think I maybe had a thought or two about, you know, Jedi working overtime shifts. You can't get away for the weekend. <laughs> Eddie Mundy's like, I've been working 17 straight days. I'm overwhelmed and tired. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that idea of them just being like exhausted, you know, uh, I had only recently uh, at this time uh, quit my job at Kinko's. Like, are, are they like me at the end of a shift? Is that it? Is that it? Overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, I get it. I work security on Black Friday. I am overwhelmed, too. I'm like, <laughs> Yes, they will overrun the limited number of security guards at the mall. How do you feel about Dooku being called mysterious? Is he? Is that a good turn of phrase? Where do you go with that? Look, I think he is. And we, you know, we, we talk often about Dooku here. And that's been one of the, the big characters that over the last five to six, seven years uh, really started to love more. Uh, but I think the marketing of the day made this feel unnecessary for me. Just uh, mm. was a little bit of a window dressing because it was kind of like, well, Christopher Lee's a villain. I I heard that in Cinescape. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Premier Magazine said uh, he's the villain. So there was a little bit spoiler uh, culture was a little different back then. Uh, so yeah, I, but I but I think once you're past that and just see the whole story, uh, I really do love uh, do love the the use of it, especially in a in a in a sci-fi Obi Wan's going to go on a film noir detective uh, trip. You know, you need some good mystery and that works. Yeah, it's just a, it's a great turn of phrase for that uh, tone and style that remains a part of these crawls. And yeah, he might have been mysterious from the audience perspective. And I do like that it kind of tees up, you know, the debate that we get introduced to quite early in the film of like, well, is Dooku a political idealist <laughs> yeah. or is he uh, the leader of, uh, you know, this hmm. not not just a political leader, of the separatist, but a, a nefarious leader who is causing uh, problems and harm, right? Yeah. Uh, I also it also works to me from the perspective of like, well, yeah. I mean, he's known to the Jedi. He was a Jedi, but he's been gone for ten years, and nobody's sure exactly what he's up to. Yeah, I think I think uh, in that question you said, yeah, the 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 Kiati Mendy question that uh, is raised is the is the purpose matter. But I I think I had going to just my own little reaction to it of not picking up on I you know he's he was gone with that it's just like oh is he did he just show up and no one's ever heard of him and then this movie starts and they're talking about him like okay uh what's going on here that kind of thing I I I had to play catch up to that that was my journey through it but I I think I think again in the end it it works really well yeah I think so too Uh, I love mysterious Count Mm -hmm. Dooku um and Count Dooku very pulpy name um what are other clues about the film that you think are in this text uh, you mentioned uh, the unrest in the Senate. I do, I do in the end really like that. Uh, jokes aside and, and uh, saying the words a little less, uh, you know, I don't know, fun. I don't know, but it, it sets it up. Uh, and, and it does work when you consider that 10 years have passed and we're not, um, we're not in a totally different spot. You know, all that war hasn't happened. Isn't that kind of thing? There's, it's, it's, it's a growing concern. And I thought that that worked. And I even then was interested in, well, 10 years, what, what's been going on in 10 years and, and, and Palpatine playing the long game. I do like it in that sense uh, that there's this unrest in the Senate. Yeah, no, I really like that too. I, I think for me, maybe my favorite part of this text, besides uh, having some fun analyzing the unrest is that that last paragraph, right. That lets you know that, yeah, some time has passed. Uh, Amidala is no longer Senator or no longer queen. She is now Senator. But that should be returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating, in all caps, 
army of the Republic uh, to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. Uh, I think these crawls often, the, the final paragraph sets you up right for the direct action, right? So it brings us into Padme returning. But I also think that this is one where it sets up the true conflict of the film, right? Is whether or not there should be an army of the Republic. That's what's actually at stake, right? And you can kind of get distracted by all of the the fun and the thrills and what the characters are going through. But it is the conflict of the film is Padme absolutely knows that this is not the way to resolve this conflict. These systems are unhappy with Republic, maybe because of that endless debating we heard about yep. and saw, maybe it, because of things like that. Uh, she doesn't know yet that there is a, she thinks Dooku's behind some stuff, but uh, she doesn't yet know that he's a Sith Lord and this is part of a plot. So she's looking at it from the perspective of, hey, uh, they might have some legitimate problems. Yeah, they might be, there might be some conflict and some little explosions of violence, but it's not too late. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. The second we escalate by showing them a fist back, then it's over, right? That's what's at stake in the film that uh, paragraph centers Padme and her perspective of, of yes, you have to take action, but first avoid violence, try kindness, try empathy, try understanding, try connection. It centers it as the conflict of the film. Especially when this uh, movie starts with the vote and ends with uh, Jimmy Smith's fist bump of frustration <laughs> and pain as the army heads out into the galaxy to fight this war. Yeah, it's definitely central, I would say. Yeah, I also think it's an interesting reading that we hear about the Jedi, but they are not centered, right? Like uh, the yep. Phantom Menace one ends on the two Jedi Knights are, are going in. Uh, and it's partially a function of setting up the first scene of the movie, uh, but it really does center the Jedi of not really being in the process, that they're being reactive, not proactive. And it's Padme who's the one who's being proactive and trying to make a change, and the Jedi are just trying to keep peace, which is great. That's a part of their thing. Uh, But the fact that they are not super proactive, you know, part of the plot to me is that Palpatine is using that against them. Yeah, and you know it's one of those things. You you, you um, always talk so wonderfully, Joseph, on on the tension in in these films uh, called wars being maybe anti-war, right? Yeah, <laughs> summarizing. Uh, going back, taking myself back to two thousand two, uh, and why I you know I still stand behind this movie and what the prequels are saying, but like in two thousand two, man, like I'm sitting there going, well, what's the issue? Build an army. We got to fight. <laughs> like I've heard right? for years, the Jedi Gen- General Kenobi. Like we're gonna see that. Clap my hands together. Let's get fighting. And and not and not again. That's me not picking up on on what the story was telling me with all the weirdness and Dexter's Diner and all these wonderful things. I just I do remember acting. And I wrote it down too. This critical issue of creating an army looks a lot different now, and and looks a lot different when you get the entire Star Wars story and all the themes and what it's trying to tell you or communicate or comment on. And just me in a theater going, yeah, that's great. Let's fight Clone Wars. I'm waiting for this. Yeah, and maybe that's it with Attack of the Clones in general, is I do think there is that tension where Star Wars wants to have just fun with the thrill of space wizards with uh, lightsabers and cool clones and bounty hunters and uh, big fights. And, hey, somebody's almost assassinated by three beasts in an arena. It's mm. it, that all that fun and that thrill is a big part of it. But the lesson is let's try to avoid those things if at all possible. And that. Attack the Clones has something of maybe the most tension of that. Of the point of the film is those cool clones, 
they're they're fun to watch. They're interesting characters in the Clone Wars. Uh, we shouldn't make them the army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, again, it, it, it's uh, uh, I, I had a question uh, asked to a friend off air recently. He's like, "Man, I still I'd love to sit down and talk with you prequels one day because I'd love to understand your view on them now because they knew me, know me for twenty years almost, and we used to have discussions on how I, I didn't really love them and. And I, it's hard. That's hard. hard to explain. Sometimes you just want to go hey, listen to Force Center. Um, but <laughs> a lot of it is is around stuff like this, where I'm sitting in a theater, going, "Yeah, uh, from fighting on the playground and pew pew pewing to let's 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 get it on. I want these Clone Wars to begin and and not uh, picking up some of this stuff." So it's and, and that's that's in the crawl. The big things and the themes are in the crawl for me to uh, engage with. Yeah, and I think maybe that is a, a part of it as well. We talked about with the original trilogy crawls. The original trilogy goes out of their way to let you know. You shouldn't try to see Palpatine in another light. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Empire and the Death Star are bad, you know, yeah. and the prequel trilogy is getting into this like, look, these uh, these flaws that many individuals have that can become compounded by large organizations. It's complex and it can be exploited by somebody who doesn't mean well. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what the story is. And it is more complicated than. Oh no, Palpatine overthrew all the good people and he's real, real bad and the good guys got to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So enjoy that crawl very much. Any thoughts before we take a quick break? Uh, no, if I, if I, the final thing I put down is just, uh, you've touched on a little bit, but I just, uh, in, in boiling down sometimes for my simple mind, just difficult for Jedi to do their job is what I picked out of this, this, this crawl too. <laughs> Not a lot of them, thousands of systems, a lot of unrest, uh, it's a tough day at the office for the Jedi. And now I think you're so right. It really does portray a group that means well, but is struggling to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor overwhelmed Jedi working long shifts with their laser swords. That's what attack of the clones is telling us. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to discuss the crawl of revenge of the Sith and the clone wars animated series newsreels. Very excited to discuss both of those in just a moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. And we are back to continue our look at the opening crawls of the prequel era. We are going to dive into Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Ken, I shall uh, read this one, and I shall not do anything approaching a British accent. I I promise, listeners. I haven't either, so... No, (laughs) I think you've done a little bit of Mid-Atlantic, the old classic Hollywood, which I think is great. It's the truth. It's more Mid-Atlantic, yes. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. War! The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader General Grievous has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Four dots. Ah, this is a fun one to discuss, isn't it? Oh, man. There's so much going on. Where does this one uh, rank for you, and what are your uh, favorite parts of the text? My excited uh, tone spoils my answer. Hi, this is a great (laughs) one. I've always loved this, and this sets us up. Those four dots take us into this entire opening sequence that's uh, up until they crash into the invisible hand. But even after that, I love the stuff in there. But uh, that opening, the music, I've talked often about People say, what's your favorite overall Star Wars score? Revenge of the Sith, man. Williams was putting it all on the tracks there, just going, if this is the last one, I'm I'm doing some things I haven't done yet. (laughs) And and I love it. And this one, that that war leading into what the doom doom. Oh my gosh. It's some of my favorite Star Wars. It's peak Star Wars. uh, And I absolutely love this one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is one of my very, very favorites. Uh, it, it is the culmination, as it should be, of a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the crawls up to this point and in the prequel trilogy in particular, that uh, it, we start with Phantom Menace. Then we start the question of, oh, okay, things are kind of uh, falling apart a little bit. How are we going to handle it? Should we raise the army? And now this is just everything has exploded. There's so much dynamic language. It's so exciting and pulpy. Uh, and it's like some of the sort of um, the 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 tremors of problems in organizations is everything's falling apart now, right? Like yeah. in the Phantom Menace and Attack the Clones uh, crawls, it's about things bubbling under the surface. And this is just like everything bubbling under the su- surface broke open, and it's nothing but action. Yeah, no, look, it's it's an it's it's arithmetic here. You t- turmoil, endless debates, uh, unrest, all equals war. 
<laughs> there you go. A little bit of Star Wars math. Yeah, and just in terms of the pulpy thrill, I love that it just starts with the one word exclamation point, right? War. It's so great. And then followed up by a little bit of what I would argue is a uh, uh, thought-provoking sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, there are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. That is just a quick little picture of the state of the galaxy. How do you, we, we've talked about their heroes on both sides. We can obviously revisit that in this context, but how do you feel about those two punchy little sentences to give a state of the galaxy? I think they're, they're, uh, hear me out here. It might be because I've had a, you know, a nice lunch and a good beverage. Not, not, a, not an adult one today. Just I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling chuffed, Joseph. <laughs> I think these are two of the most important senses, sentences in Star Wars. Yeah. There are heroes on both sides, something that gets even more beautifully and fully explained in the Clone Wars series. Uh, and then evil is everywhere. How often do you and I, in discussing just the prequels or what went wrong, we talked recently on the, on the main show about Obi-Wan and what he may have done wrong in tra- training Anakin and Anakin's fall. And at the end of it, we always say, yeah, but there was also this, uh, you know, wizard of a, of, a, of a Sith Lord controlling everything who is unfortunately too good at what he does. Evil is everywhere, but it, it it just keeps on going down to the micro level where it, where it's just this overwhelming, all encompassing uh, presence of evil. It's it's a powerful statement. Yeah, I think so too. It's just it, it's a it's a portrait of the sadness of war and mass conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Of this is what Padme is trying to avert, right? This is what the Jedi bumbled into unfortunately uh i think the heroes on both sides you know if you want to look at take a look at um our clone wars report about the uh the episode mm-hmm. <laughs> the episodes where that's discussed in mina bonteri we, we can uh, go in some greater depth there but i think for me the way i've always taken it is uh look this is a manipulation by uh dooku uh secretly darth tyrannus and uh palpatine darth sidious and there are definitely you know, separatists who think they're just fighting for a better government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been played. And the, and that perception that you can have of really um, when a conflict gets out of control of othering the other side, and that's happening on both sides, right? Uh, so both sides think that the other is, you know, the one who is absolutely committed the most atrocious thing. And mm-hmm. the ones who stand up against it are the heroes, right? Uh, but then following that up with evil is everywhere, saying that those... Mm-hmm. falling victim to those traps leads the dark side to flourish because it's nothing but pain and suffering. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, well said suffering. Yeah. Nothing follows good. Uh, not, nothing, nothing good follows suffering according to Obi, uh, Yoda's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, chart there. So yeah, his star Wars math is, is pretty clear on that. Yeah. Um, I also just like, I love that uh, count uh, Dooku was mysterious and now he's ruthless Sith Lord. Now he has business cards, Ken. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Love it. And the, that makes the doubt I might've had about that word mysterious. It just, it just takes it all away. Now uh, the truth is revealed. No more mystery. He's a ruthless Sith Lord. Yep. He, you should not be rooting for him. Maybe there are heroes on, on both sides from uh, that point of view of the, the people trapped in the war, but the person, you know, orchestrating the war is a ruthless Sith Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then another thing I really like is that it, it of course, ends on uh, two Jedi Knights, uh, which goes into that great opening shot of seeing Obi-Wan and Anakin in unison, that massive, uh, amazing battle of the galaxy fully at war. Uh, but it also kind of calls back and connects to uh, the Phantom Menace beginning with two Jedi Knights uh, secretly dispatched. And now our two Jedi Knights are on a desperate mission. 
how did you feel about that? Did that one excite you? Oh, very, very exciting. And, and we can get into the big themes behind it, but just taking it as, as that, uh, as it was in 2005, uh, it, it just pulled me in. It's such a, I can't, I can't just, uh, over explain my, my, uh, my excitement for the drum beats, the word war and the sounds <laughs> of those ships flying in and these two Jedi Knights, uh, guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy on a, on a desperate mission is the key word there. Love everything about that. And yeah, and tying it to what you were talking about in the Phantom Menace crawl and the individuals, uh, you know, maybe within a system or trying to work uh, towards things in spite of systems. Uh, thematically, that's just wonderful too. But just again, in terms of a crawl, what those four dots couldn't end soon enough. Cause I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think on seeing it in 2005 and uh, pretty much every viewing sense, I've loved that it ends on the two Jedi Knights because it's sort of a fulfilling that great promise from a uh, new hope of Obi-Wan talking about his friend, mm-hmm. Anakin, you know, uh, and, we saw them meet. We got to see their first handshake. <laughs> yep. We got to see, you know, some conflict between them as Anakin trains. Uh, but now they are as they were described, you know, in A New Hope. Yep. They are, you know, uh, friends and brothers and equals. And to see them flying into battle and, and that this line that sets that up is really exciting and, and powerful mm-hmm. always. Yep. Love it. Yeah. And in the use of Jedi Knights. Yeah. We've been living with that for a long time by the time 2005 rolled around. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't get used as often. It's almost always a Jedi these days, but it's nice to hear Jedi Knights. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as a pickup from the sort of cliffhanger of Attack the Clones, how does this crawl work for you of letting you know, like, okay, as we left Attack the Clones, uh, the Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen, the Clone Wars has begun. How are things been going since? <laughs> How does it work for you from that perspective? It, it works great from that perspective. Uh, I will say in this point, though, this is I was always a little bummed that this was the end of the Clone Wars, uh, but that turned out all right. We got a series and some more storytelling that that, that made that uh, uh, sting a little less. But, you know, I, this, the seven battles on seven planets, if George got his way or told the story a little differently, I think I would have been very happy with that. That's the only thing. Uh, this, this cliffhanger was kind of saying a lot of cool things happened in the last three years. We'll tell you some other time. Let's wrap it all up. <laughs> it's the only thing I can really say I, I, if then, and, and, and I get it now, but then it was like, wait a minute, this is the final one. Uh, the final battle. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I like that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, in, you know, the, the Clone Wars, uh, the original one had, mm-hmm. had been around. So you got a little taste a little uh, little of that. Uh, but then you went and got the, uh, the whole Clone Wars animated series, which makes me not mind at all. But yeah, I was with you of like, okay, is it, this is it, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but I do just from the, the perspective of the text of like, okay, well, let's set the tone because, um, you know, for myself, I was thinking a lot about like the, I was thinking, how is Anakin going to fall? You know, exactly how is that going to happen? You know, what's that lava battle going to look like? Those are some of the my, thoughts on my mind in 2005 when I sat down at my midnight showing. Uh, but I love that the text kind of reframed that for me of like, hey, remember that war? <laughs> yeah. It's fun to watch. It's not fun to live and it's not going well. The, the use of the word crumbling is so powerful to be like, yeah. uh, last time a war started. How's it going now? The word crumbling. That's how it's going. <laughs> no one likes to crumble unless it's like no. set of cheese crumbles on your uh, microwave uh, frozen pizza. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And uh, I like in the uh, grand tradition of uh, Star Wars storytelling that it really picks up mid-action of like, 
uh, we're right in the middle of the kidnapping. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, that, yeah, again, my, my excitement's still pretty high there. It's, it's still going, still going well for, uh, uh, not, I was going to say little Kenny, but littler Kenny in 2005. Yeah. Littler Kenny, <laughs> uh, the animated sitcom coming soon, littler Kenny. Uh, so at this point, the narration is not tipping its hand about the truth of the galaxy. We're not being told Palpatine is the villain. He is the victim who has been kidnapped by General Grievous. How do you feel about that? Look, we, uh, our, our generation of fans are forever locked in an odd spot with that, right? Like, I, 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 we, we just knew. And I still love the, the youngsters that didn't know. I love uh, the friends who show other friends or partners and spouses and, and they go, yeah, they didn't know and they were surprised by this. I, I'm glad the, pro, the crawl preserves that. Uh, that, that preserves that for different uh, Star Wars discovery points and entry points. I I, I love that. Uh, me, myself, I, I think, you know, again, we knew, uh, we kind of knew it was at play, and then therefore it just kind of became really fun. And how do I feel about that? It, it felt fun. But I think in the end, I love that uh, George was like, no, no, no. Again, as I said earlier, nope. If, if you're seven and you're watching these for the first time, you still don't know in episode three until episode yeah. three. Yeah, no, if you're not uh, if you're not uh, watching Phantom Medicine go, "Hey, that profile. Hey, hey." Uh yeah, no, I, I love the idea that it uh, preserves the mystery. I also understand that you, you it is on a mission. All the crawls are short, but this one is just so packed into the action. It gives you a sense of the tone, what's happening. There's a mm-hmm. uh, there's crumbling, there's evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a uh, things uh, being besieged and kidnapped and fiend destroyed leaders. Let's go. Um so I, I understand it from a, a length perspective as well. But it's fascinating to, to like compare it to Return of the Jedi, right? Where we, the viewer, are given information that Luke doesn't have. In fact, you know, little does Luke know, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating to me to think about this could have been, you know, Gr- Grievous has kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, secretly the Sith Lord Darth Sidious, right? Because right. uh, it's, it's you know, laying its hands on the table like, yeah, no, Duke is a Sith Lord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it could have said Chancellor Palpatine secretly the mastermind of these devastating clone wars, or right, or, or it could say little do they know, you know, uh, the Chancellor, uh, though kidnapped, has many plans. Like it could have done any little bit of kind of like heightened uh, tipping of the hand, and I think it's really intriguing that it doesn't. Yeah, no, intriguing that it doesn't. But yeah, going back to what I proposed earlier with the Phantom Menace crawl. If that's step one, maybe it could have said kidnap Chancellor Palpatine, who is entering the final phase of his long play game to take over. The- <laughs> then, then, then there you're long. And by the way, this crawl too, you talk, you keep uh, mentioning it. It packs so much into it. In the world of writing, writing log lines or one sheets and just kind of summarizing your story is the hardest thing to do, even more than writing. And this it's one really is difficult. An amazing job of it. Yeah, and makes it really thrilling. Foot on the gas. Yeah, no, I I think that uh, just kind of preserving the story, keeping it short and simple, is is makes a ton of sense to me. And I'm not suggesting that this is at work in the actual crawl. It is. This is total head cannon and mm-hmm. discussion for fun. But if you want to get into a discussion of who is narrating Star Wars and is it a reliable narrator or an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. that makes this really interesting because if this if you want to look at Star Wars is who is sharing this story with us? Where is it written down? When you read the crawl of Revenge of the Sith, the narrator has to be either ignorant or covering up. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, I, I, I like this idea of the narrator just uh, destroying files as they go along. 
Yeah, yeah. Or the narrator is trying to tell it in the most dramatic way possible so the reveal can be in the in the story, I guess, is the generous interpretation that you yeah. have shared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's 3 I'll tell him the Ewoks the story. He's just like, oh, we'll wait till you get to that part. Yeah, he doesn't want to spoil. This is 3PO not spoiling things. Yeah. Uh, uh, although, of course, poor 3PO uh, probably doesn't remember this right now. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is 3PO reading a storybook that somebody else wrote. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, what other clues about the film, about Revenge of the Sith, do you think are in this opening crawl? I mean, just taking all the things we've kind of discussed here, just war, republic crumbling, evil is everywhere. And, and one of my favorite ones are this desperate mission. Uh, if the Jedi have been on a slippery slope, they are sliding down it now, whether they know it or not. And that literally sliding down into the movie. Uh, I, I love that just, just kind of sets that up and sets up the end. It sets up the end. And then there again, uh, too, if you're looking at like, oh, crap, this is the end of the war. Like, I do love that George kind of said, you know, in the end, uh, the war itself is something else we can maybe deal with. Maybe I'll get a chance to do that. Those, uh, those animated shorts uh, got me thinking about something else we can do here. But I just love that we kind of go to to the important part. The, the Republic is crumbling. Evil is everywhere. And this is the last act. I, I just the clues are all there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I think some other things that you could, you know, uh, kind of infer for this if you wanted, if you're looking at Attack the Clones is the conflict is, should we raise an army? Uh, this could have been called episode three. Padme was right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that it, the, this, it, you know, Bail Organa's a, a fist pump of sadness, as we've been calling it. A great turn of phrase there at the end when the, of Attack the Clones, when the clones are there and the army is raised, like this is... This is just going to lead to more conflict, you know, and mm. everything about this is saying, yep, that that was the tragedy to attack the clones. The heroes didn't manage to prevent this and conflict has begat more conflict. And here we are. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's also just like it, it tells you what the film is in contrast to Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, which are in some ways, uh, you know, rising action. This is climax. This is yeah. tons of action. Tons of confusion, tons of violence, tons of sadness. This is really telling you about like the tone of everything's going to fall apart and what's going to be left when everything breaks. Mm, yeah. If, if stuff's crumbling, there's going to be some pieces on the floor. Mm. Yeah. I think the final thing for me too is it, it is, I think most people going into watching this, uh, maybe if you just have never heard of Star Wars and you're just watching this for the first time, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but a lot of people going into this know that it's this is a tragedy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is that feeling of no matter how many times you watch it, you're going to pull for it to end differently, but it's always going to end that way. And you're going to ask yourself as you watch it, when is the moment it could have gone differently? And I love that the crawl starts with this moment of, the big exciting action thing that's happening is not the, it's not a new hope. It's not the absolute good guy. Princess Leia is trying to escape the evil empire with those important plans. This is that the Jedi heroes, the one we're pumping our fist to see are rescuing the person who is going to ruin them. <laughs> they are, you are about to watch a mission that cannot succeed because if they fail, they think they're going to fail in that moment. But if they succeed, they're going to have rescued the man who is going to ruin them. Hey, everybody want to watch some tragedy? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You wanna... Rock and hard place. Star Wars episode three. <laughs> exactly. So I just I love that since that's the nature of what the prequel trilogy yeah. is and this film in particular that it starts with you're like yeah Anakin and Obi-Wan rescuing Palpatine oh jeez <laughs> and it just again a testament to the plan 
Palpatine pulled off. You know, I tip my cap if I just wasn't. <laughs> tip my cap to the evil maestro. Yep. 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 Uh, any other thoughts on the Revenge of the Sith crawl before we move on to the Clone Wars? Other than after I uh, we finish these sessions and I'm putting these podcasts uh, podcast together, I'm going to have uh, another lunch uh, watching uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, that opening is so great. Absolutely love it. Uh, Moving on then to the Clone Wars newsreels. These are brilliantly read uh, by the great Tom Kane. Mm -hmm. Almost every individual episode of the Clone Wars animated series starts with this uh, 1930s, 1940s-like newsreel. And sometimes uh, the actual uh, spoken information that you're absorbing uh, sets up a, a ton of stuff that happened off screen. Sometimes it is reviewing and picking up on an actual cliffhanger from a previous episode or season. Uh, sometimes it is giving a ton of socio-political economic context to the exciting adventure you're about to see. The newsreels do a lot of different things. So in general, Ken, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think of this evolution from the written crawls to this sort of newsreel style? I I, I think I'm in a place where I, I'm, I just so enjoy it now. I don't think I ever didn't enjoy it. I always love a good newsreel parody. Like I used to do a stand-up bit, I'm not saying good as Tom came, but he's love kind of doing it. It's just kind of fun. Um, so I think I was like, ah, that's cute. But then as we said before doing the Clone Wars report, if you're going through a Clone Wars rewatch out there, uh, friends, don't skip these, uh, pay attention. There's so much in there. And and are, they're telling so much of the story. They're so valuable. And I just love that George kind of, uh, you know, probably sat down and said, hey, when I was a kid, newsreels meant a lot. Like, even even though George wasn't uh, kicking around in the 30s and 40s there. But, like, that was still kind of a thing we knew about. Still kind of how information got out. Even, you know, nightly news was still probably presented in more of this uh, this uh, fashion. I'm not saying there were newsreels with Cronkite at, at 6 o'clock on a Thursday. But I think this was nostalgia. But also, George was like, this is the greatest way to get the story out. Do something new. And it's a uh, it's 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 war. It's a war story. It, it's the newsreels of World War Two. Uh, so uh, it all kind of synced up and they do just such a great job with each episode. It, it's it's the best, man. I, I've really grown to love. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely adore it. I think I always liked it. Um, but it, as we've been going through the Clone Wars report, I've really appreciated it more. Um I think that maybe there was a desire to make uh, the idea of a crawl more approachable to kids. Um, you know, there aren't, aren't as many subtitled aliens in the Clone Wars, which I think is, you know, being being mindful of, you know, uh, kids, young kids watching. Uh, we talked about we probably were exposed to the crawls of the original trilogy before we could read them. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's uh, definitely uh, got that element to it of evolve from the written to the, the spoken. Um, I love them because they fit the clone wars era so well of relating it to this real world thing of thirties, forties newsreels. And, you know, if you've, if you've never heard any, they're, they're available on YouTube and you can Google them. And, and it's, it's really fascinating to hear not just the tone mm-hmm. of uh, the, we're making a proclamation and then we're saying things and it is important and uh, all that great tone. Uh, but it's also that balance between, we're giving you events, but we're also giving you events from a perspective and we're letting you know what's at stake, you know? Yeah. Um, that idea that translates from reality into the Clone Wars is so, so great. Um, it's about nostalgia. It's about cliffhangers. It's about a lot of the things that the, the written crawls always were. But in the Clone Wars animated series where the, the characters are dealing with murky things, mm-hmm. these... Uh, these newsreels often really set the stakes and add 
a lot of nuance to the big picture story. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in the uh, the Pong Krell arc that newsreels make it clear, like, yeah, uh, Umbara is tactically important and the Republic and the Jedi are just taking it. They're not answering a call for help from yeah. the Umbarans. They're taking it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot buried in these newsreels that really gives just great, rich context to the the stories. Yeah, one of the favorite ones uh, you and I've talked about is the movie uh, with the, you know, puts puts them in a, the Jedi and the Republic in a position of, of working with the Huts in the underworld and, and one of these unintended consequences. And I love just the, them setting that up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how would you feel if uh, future Star Wars shows adopted this approach and found a way to have a crawl that was not, uh, you know, exactly written as the Skywalker saga ones uh, were, uh, but uh, written or spoken, but really adapted to the specific part of Star Wars? Like as much as I love the newsreel, I think I've come to love it because it makes so much sense for the Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the war report, right? Um so I'm not saying stack stick a newsreel on the beginning of every Star Wars because I don't know if it would work. But if there was something adapted that it worked in that same wonderful harmonious way with whatever piece of Star Wars storytelling it is. Yeah, I, I I'm with you too. Like I can't see this. Uh, you know, wouldn't work for Book of Boba Fett, right? You know, at all. I'm saying that you know jokingly because it would be just wonderfully silly. Um, you find the right thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just lost in the Boba Fett in his feelings again. Yeah, yeah. Boba Fett is taken a back to bath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meantime, back in the past. Uh, look, you could do it with the right thing. You know, I was thinking. You know, do you if you get a get a series that goes into maybe some of the Resistance versus First Order battle that we haven't really seen. You know, we we got a lot of content in that. But if you're going to go between. Um, uh, you know, Last Jedi and, and Rise of Skywalker. Maybe there's some kind of series where the tone would really work, but the spirit of it, I do. I do. We talked about in, in the crawl episode about Rogue One and, and Solo's different take on it, and Rogue One's take is eh, uh, cold open. Uh, <laughs> and I and I do wish there was that crawl in the Solo one. I love that little uh, mini uh, crawl that they uh, took from Willow. So if if you could find the spirit of just like we're gonna, you know, Andor. Again, you're not going to have a newsreel parody, but if you were to have some kind of like, hey, we're going to we're going to really set you up for what's going on during this time frame. It, it could it could work. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if Andor had some sort of like secret dispatches typed out across the screen, you know, in some sort of uh, Star Wars font that had a little bit of that connection to espionage to noir, mm-hmm. uh, but put it in this great Star Wars flavor the same way the newsreels are. Let's take this real thing and give it real Star Wars flavor. That yeah would be fascinating if it matched like the tone, the aesthetic, the era. And uh, yeah. The, oh, the thing you're saying of like, like almost like a mission brief or something, uh, Andor is getting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it doesn't even need to be that literal. Cause it's, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the, the narrator in the newsreels isn't like, <laughs> you know, he's not like I'm updating the Jedi council. I'm just off in the corner. Right. There's, there's no in world. He's a narrator, you know, yeah. uh, there's no in world explanation for him. Like, yeah. So if it was just like, we're giving you this information of, you know, where, where the galaxy is, where Cassian is, what happened last week, but it's mm-hmm. in this, uh, you know, stylized delivery is what's cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it could work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like book of Boba Fett, I think is such a great example because I feel like Boba Fett through his, his visions, his dreams is taking us through his journey. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's why it feels almost redundant to have somebody say, this guy's going to show you places. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
So it, it's hard not knowing uh, what the other shows are going to be like. But if Acolyte is like a, um, we've said it's really going to deal with the dark side of like some sort of text or voice that is like, like is feels like is being read from an ancient dark side tome. Like something like that would be intriguing to me. Mm. Again, matching the aesthetic of the show. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting idea too. Yeah, or it might be that uh, crawls have had their day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so well, ends the era of the crawls. Yes, very, very sad, but we shall see. Um, going back to the Clone Wars uh, newsreels in particular, uh, one of the things that is different is that it is a functional previously on. There are also visuals uh, that are sometimes uh, uh, absolutely things that we have seen in a previous episode, uh, but sometimes they're visuals that are, just for the crawl. They're unique to the crawl that you see a little snippet of an adventure that we don't actually see anywhere else except for in the crawls. Uh, Would you want to see more of that in the future of like previously ons that we don't actually get to see the previously on except for in this snippet? Yeah. You know, it also oddly reminds me of Arrested Development uh, next time on where it's really not the next time on. It's genius. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I, oddly enough, I'm I'm always fascinated with the Clone Wars uh, doing that because I don't think I, First time out, you know, clearly didn't pay as much attention to the newsreels as I do now, where it's like they have entire scenes, you know, where they, they maybe they were going to shoot them or use them anyways. And so they, they created and generated these properties, but then they're just in the crawl. And I just love, I'm fascinated with the use of that. It's just like they find it that that valuable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I could see that working uh, as well. And, uh, you know, and previously on Boba Fett, you didn't see this uh, when he and the warrior had a cup of coffee, but they, they talked uh, they're good. They're good. Yeah. Yeah, previously on Boba Fett, uh, this is when he taught his valet droids to help him put his armor on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, previously on, the twins actually fell off that uh, litter. They were to turn the corner sharply and you see it. Yeah, one of those uh, those people supporting them, their, their back just gave out. Just gave out. Down went the twins, tumbling off their litter. Um, yeah, I think for me, that's one of the really thrilling things of watching the Clone Wars opening of if you can identify like, Oh yeah, no, I know that shot. That's from the literal previous episode or, Oh, that's from a couple of seasons yeah. before. Or, mm-hmm. Oh, they've used that a couple of times. Or, and then sometimes suddenly something pops up that is entirely unique yeah. to that. And in, in particular, uh, recently we watched the arc and discussed it on Clone Wars report where Obi-Wan uh, goes undercover and becomes bounty hunter, Reiko Hardeen and decides he needs to lie to Anakin about it. And I love that in the newsreel, there is clips of Obi-Wan realizing he's going to have to do this and he's in the council chamber and there's a clip of him watching his face fall. And I just posted it with a joke on, on Twitter a, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Of There's that shot of the council meeting going on and Obi-Wan just uh, collapsed. Just like, I know I have to do this, but I hate it. I don't want to. It's so, it's Monday morning energy from Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it only exists there. It's truly one of my favorite things. No, I, I, I love that. Yeah, that was a, a, a great thing. Yeah, I, I again, it'd be uh, maybe that maybe that they do that in Kenobi. Just a, every every previously on is just him in a bar trying to not tell his story to someone. He's just like, this is tough. I think I hope every episode of Kenobi opens with previously on, and then it's him slashing Anakin and Anakin <laughs> <laughs> screaming. It's just every episode is a version is a is a shot a sequence for that final fight of Mustafar. You were you were my brother Anakin. The next one is just like you've done that yourself. I hate you. Previously on Obi Wan Kenobi. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, or uh, yeah, that when he gets on the ship and uh, just kind of takes it all in and puts his head in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, poor Kenobi. Oh, Kenobi. We, we want things to go well for him. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, I did want to look at some of the actual text since we did um, spend a lot of time talking about the, the text of the crawls. Here is the, the newsreel from the first regular episode of the show, uh, Ambush, in season one. Mm. Um, actually, why don't you read it? We're, we're, it's up to your turn. So go ahead and read this. Uh, okay. Here we go. Uh, a galaxy divided by war. Peaceful <laughs> worlds must choose sides or face the threat of invasion. Republican separatist armies vie for the allegiance of neutral planets. Desperate to build a Republic supply, supply base in the system of Toydaria, Jedi Master Yoda travels to secret negotiations on a remote neutral moon. <laughs> Excellent reading, excellent newsreel reading, and just ending on that uh, that down note of Moon that drives you into the story. Beautiful. Yeah, and I apologize Beautiful. to Tom Kane. I really do. Uh, yeah, all our best uh, to Tom Kane. Amazing, amazing work. Um, so, as a sample, uh, what do you like in this? What kind of turns of phrase do you think connects this this newsreel text uh, to the tradition of the crawls? Uh, uh, threat of invasion uh, is something that's uh, I like uh, that pretty. Who doesn't enjoy a good threat in your opening crawls or uh, uh, newsreels? Uh, I love the word "vi," which <laughs> is a nice way to say fight in a war, right? Like, oh, that's, yeah, it's almost uh, when Cersei Lannister says that to Marjorie Tyrell. Oh, yeah, it's a nice way to say it now, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, uh, nice way to say fight. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, look, I always like a desperate. A desperate yes. pops up a lot. You know, look, if you if you got to do anything, uh, <laughs> yeah. a mission, a talk, anything, yeah. desperate is a, is a great way to do it and, and once, to once, heighten the stakes. Yeah, once again, uh, we got some Jedi doing things in secret to help uh, help uh, stop the wars or keep from fighting. Yeah, Yoda has secretly dispatched himself. Yes, uh, to have these negotiations. Yeah, I love the turn of phrase: secret negotiations on a remote neutral moon. Right, yeah. that just that phrase is a marriage of the the kind of uh, 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 words that we hear in the original trilogy crawls in the prequel trilogy. Right, yeah. of the on a remote ice world, a remote neutral moon. Uh, the idea that you can have a remote neutral moon is getting back to these just absolute core Star Wars. Hey, it's a massive galaxy where you can go to weird, fantastic places. What do you do there? Have important sociopolitical things like secret negotiations. No, yeah, no, absolutely. The, the, the space adventure is real there, right? Yeah. Yeah. The space adventure and then the kind of the real world stakes, which leads yeah. us into what kind of clues about uh, the show Clone Wars or the specific episode Ambush do you think this text is given? I mean, is it a clue or is it just saying that this is a galaxy divided by war? <laughs> yeah, it's not a clue. It's the first sentence, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I really, um, we talked about face the threat of invasion, but the, the, the before that, peaceful worlds must choose sides. And we talk about, uh, talked about that as related to, as relates to the Jedi rescuing Palpatine and Revenge of the Sith. But again, a testament to the unfortunate genius of, of Palpatine's plan. He's just putting everyone in these real tough spots uh, uh, no shades of gray, I guess you could say. He's removed all that, removed all nuance, and it is either yes or no. Uh, you're, you're either with me or you're my enemy, as uh, Anakin sort of says later on. And I just think that's uh, pretty powerful there. Must choose is uh, that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's a lot of great just uh, tone stuff. Uh, you know, you brought up this great idea of the imagery in the Phantom Menace opening crawl that it is about things uh, fracturing and connections being severed and things blocking connection. So the idea that this starts with a galaxy divided by war mm -hmm. of if Star Wars is about, hey, everything works better when we, we find a way to work together and we're stronger together, that that's this is what war is doing is uh, dividing everyone and everything. Uh, 
that's the literal first sentence. And then that's what's at stake in the, this episode of like, you, you're gonna have to choose a side, which has the, um, a little bit of that dark side perspective that you're saying of like with us or against us, that's it. Um, but I think it also drives toward, uh, I think some morality that Star Wars can have it, it, that inaction can be dangerous as well. Of like, mm-hmm. look, the, the, you can't hide from this conflict. It's coming and you're going to have to choose a side. I 100% agree with that too as well. The, the definite, uh, uh, the flip side again, yeah, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. So, but that idea of like staying neutral is going to be impossible. The other thing I love about this is it, it does have all of that pulpy tone. It tells you we're going on a space adventure to a remote neutral moon. A, it's a huge war is fighting. There's threats of invasion. It's Jedi Master Yoda is getting in on the action. There's a ton that says this is a fun, thrilling adventure. But it's also really, uh, I feel like the Clone Wars animated series developed so much of what Lucas was interested in in the prequel films that some people uh, have pushed back on over the years that we talked about. And the Clone Wars is really like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not letting any of that go. <laughs> yeah. What's at stake in this literal episode is logistics. Uh, they want this for a supply base, you know? And I, I think it's a really remind, a big reminder of the, the Clone Wars is going to be stories of individuals, but they're going to be navigating this big galactic uh, conflict and, uh, how the galaxy actually functions is at stake. Who controls, you know, what world, who controls uh, what bank, mm. uh, things as small as, and as kind of realistic as supply lines is all those things are going to be at stake. There's a certain amount of, um, yep. The original trilogy, you could kind of ignore some of that and just pay attention to the romance and the thrill. Uh, but ever since the prequel trilogy and on, there's been some realism going on here of supply lines, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that realism, uh, it's wrapped up, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I just, I just appreciate it more and more, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, I agree. Here's a, here's my final question for you about this. Do you feel that a male announcer, as he's called on the Disney Plus subtitles, is a reliable narrator? Do you, do you trust what male announcer is telling you? I, I, I trust. I think he's doing his best to give you all the pieces of information he feels you need to make your own decisions about what's going on here and take what you, you need from it or take what you want. Uh, perhaps I, 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 I in the, in the end, I, I don't think he's uh, leaving too much out and he's not hiding in the shadows. No, I don't think so either. I think he, he knows events, he knows feelings and he's trying to tell us all about them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mail announcer. Thanks, uh, Tom Kane. Such amazing, amazing work. So uh, that's our big look. Do you have any final thoughts on the crawls of the prequel era, Ken? Yeah, I, I can only, uh, we always try to make sure we're trying to engage and, and connect with everyone in the Star Wars fandom and, and everyone's experiences and when they uh, jumped on the Star Wars train. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are, we are, uh, two folks that sat in the theater in 1999, a little bit older and, and a little bit more cynical at the time or, or open to it and trying to discover things. And I don't want to paint you as cynical during the, the Phantom Menace era, Joseph. That, but that, that is fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I do get asked a lot because even as recently as uh, 2014, you can find episodes of me taking some fun shots at the prequels. And by the way, I'll still have my jokes at Star Wars because I think we should be able to laugh at Star Wars. It, it is wild and weird. Uh, but there's some episodes in 2011 of another podcast I was on where I was just ripping these things apart. And I got conversations with friends at their houses uh, that I still sometimes uh, get to get thrown in my face in a good way, not a challenging way. And, and But people ask it. And, and that one friend of mine, 
a lot of you know him. His name's Matt Key, my, my writing partner, big Marvel guy. And he's he's asked me, like, I, I want to understand what you're seeing now in those movies uh, versus what we were seeing and what you were saying you were seeing or not seeing back in 2009. And a lot of it does start with looking at the crawls a little more um, closely with a little bit of a different eye and um, my own uh, expectations stripped away from them. Not that expectations, again, are bad going into a film. Uh, I'll carry episode three of Boba Fett. I have a lot of expectations going in. <laughs> um, but that's where it started for me. That's where some of it started of, of, of what these crawls were telling me and saying what was going on here and any conflict I had with them uh, later on. It wasn't, I wasn't being lied to. It was being, here's what's here for you. Uh, and it, it, I chose to maybe not engage with it. Uh, it doesn't mean everything's perfect. We go through that caveat list of things. Yep, 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 yep. Um, but you want to know where my journey started to change? It was, uh, it was with the cross. Yeah, I, I think I've had a, a very similar journey, uh, really looking at the crawls, but also just really coming around to like, oh, I I went into the prequels with a lot of uh, preconceived notions, hopes, and desires. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it I kind of put some blinders on to what the story actually was. And I've had those conversations sometimes with, uh, with friends who are generally the same uh, age as us, Ken, who grew up mm-hmm. with that perspective and, you know, have listened to episodes and, and really you know, uh, responded well to some of our discussions of the sequels or, uh, you know, whatever the Mandalorian he'll be like, but I still just, um, I'm trying to get with you on the prequels and I can't do it, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And I, I always think, you know, it, it isn't, it isn't overly complex in that if you just don't enjoy something, there's your answer. You don't enjoy it. Um, yeah. yeah. But if you want to try to give something, a second or a third or a fourth chance or see it in a different light. I think the idea that we talk about a lot of engaging with the story you're presented with, I think about that so much with these crawls because the crawls are telling you exactly what it is. If you're coming to the prequel trilogies, just wanting to see a, a, a story that is focused on the adventure thrill, focused on the mythic, doesn't get into any of this sort of political stuff. Like, the opening crawls are very clearly telling you that's what this story is. So if you want to get the most out of this story, let's try to embrace that story because it, it isn't the original trilogy again. It's it connects to it massively, but it is it is in some ways a different thing. And if you want to try to to um, enjoy it, um, open yourself up to that is I think what the crawls are saying. I feel like the crawls are like a very very, very good invitation to a party. And they're very clear about what the party's going to be, yeah. <laughs> what to wear, what kind of gifts to bring. They're telling you exactly what's going to happen at the party, you know? And I think for me, I ended up getting the most joy out of the prequels when I'm like, I have now carefully read the invitation. I understand what kind of party I'm going to. And it turns out I enjoy this party very much. Uh, and I showed up with a Hawaiian shirt uh, and uh, some sandals and everyone was having uh, tea. At nice <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's there. And, and uh, look, I'm someone who you'd mentioned that prologue in the, in the Star Wars New Hope novelization. That was one of my favorite things growing up as like an eight year old. I, I tell the story. It's hundred percent true. I used to go to used bookstores in my hometown with my mom and be like, I'd got to find the journal of the wills. There's a section of it from the front of, uh, in the star Wars. <laughs> and to then go to 1999 where this crawl, and I think even in 02 and 05, the, those three crawls are, are just connecting back to that prologue. 
And uh, I chose to, to, to overlook that, which again, uh, it's okay. And it's okay if you don't like them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we feel we, not, not feel we need to say, we want to say it because we really want everyone to fill it home here at, at this discussion table. But um, the crawls were connecting to that prologue. They really were. They really were. That that prologue is really great. And that seeing that prologue again was another reminder of like, well, Lucas has uh, changed many things along the way. You know, thoughts evolved. He's responded to different things. But that core idea that for him, Star Wars is uh, a, a fun adventure serial of his youth. It is absolutely thrilling adventure. It is absolutely uh, deep uh, uh, mythic ideas of uh, of how to be become a spiritual person, the best version of yourself, all these great mythic things, but it's also always been political of it's Mm -hmm. always been about, this is not only how individuals might fail. This is about how systems fail. And even if the details have changed, that was clearly always a part of what this big story was to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So embracing that is a ton of fun. Plus it's just fun to read the crawls aloud. So thank you Ken, for going on this journey. Uh, next episode of Crawls, we'll be talking about the whole, uh, guess what we're saying, sequel era of definitely the uh, three Skywalker Saga films, but the no crawl of Rogue One and the sort of crawl of Solo and uh, and the future as well. So we look forward to discussing those in coming, if not full circle, at least uh, finishing our crawl trilogy for now. That's it, Ken. I want to let people know where they can find us. Absolutely. We're the Force Center Podcast. We're available on Twitter at Force Center Pod. Our Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube as well. Podcast is on ACAST, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. Oh, I said that one. Spotify is the other one and a lot more. <laughs> Merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash or center. Uh, we also have a show uh, right now on the companion app uh, called Databank Dive. It's an exclusive show for the companion app. Uh, when we tweet it out, we give the information on how to listen. It's there if you like uh, to check it on out. Uh, you can follow me at Cadnapsock. Go to my website, Cadnapsock.com. Information on a lot of the other things I do. Recently, I, uh, I have a radio show called Pop Rockin' Radio. And I went live and we had a couple of center uh, friends uh, pop in. Uh, which was great. Wonderful. We always talk about music on this show. Uh, we all, you and I always mention it, uh, Beatles, Oasis, Guns N' Roses, Lady Gaga, it doesn't <laughs> matter. So it was a lot of fun and a lot, a lot of uh, people got to see, uh, see me in a different light and it, in a, little, a lot of ways, not just talking Star Wars, playing music. So check that out. All links from my website. Joseph, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on uh, all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok as uh, at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can check out my website for all the things I do and have done. Uh, you can find that at josephscrimshaw.com. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for the unrest in the Galactic Senate, this has been Force Center. This summer, you need clothes that you can wear anywhere. For that, look to American Giant t-shirts, shorts, jeans, and sweatshirts. American Giant makes everything in the USA. So when you buy, you create jobs and improve local communities all across the country. Shop summertime closet staples at American-Giant.com.
and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com with promo code WA23. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 